Hey, John. Hi, Dan. How are you? <clears throat> Good. Super, super dupes. You know, I wanted to, um, during the show, do a little kind of like a, a, a pre-show comment about the bonus material, the Patreon material. Oh. Because there are some things going on over there, some changes and things like that, that I realized like if I post an announcement in there, they won't hear it if they're having trouble. So I wanted to just, if you, if you'll allow it, of course, I'd like to do a little recap of kind of where things are and then some of the little bumps along the road and how that worked. So when we, when we first started doing bonus content on the Patreon, we would record a bonus episode or whatever, and then uh, we would upload it directly to the Patreon. And that meant that people had to first go to the Patreon, subscribe, in other words, like, you know, donate whatever they wanted to donate. And then there was a weird kind of Patreon RSS feed kind of buried that they could find that they would subscribe to that would then give them the content that they were hoping to get from us. Yeah, that sweet content. And they had to subscribe to our regular feed as well then as the Patreon feed separately. Oh, well, that seems troubling. It was troubling. So then what I started to do was to make that easier was we we had the idea that maybe we would have a sponsorless version of the main uh, episode in the Patreon feed for certain tier levels and things like that. So we started doing that. Right. And it was just, it was a lot of extra time and work. And also we lost all of the good information about our downloads. We, we didn't know who was downloading anything. We didn't have any idea of listeners or subscribers or any of the things that are useful to a podcaster to know, like, how's our show doing? We didn't get them because Patreon doesn't give you any of that. So so not only were we doing more than twice the amount of work to upload here, upload there, paste descriptions, put everything in, then where do people subscribe, et cetera, it was a whole mess. Meanwhile, behind the scenes... We've There's been, a behind-the-scenes part yes, of the story? Yes, oh. Behind the scenes at Fireside, uh, we'd been working on a Patreon integration for a long time. And the concept of the way that the Patreon integration would work is that subscribers, or, or supporters rather, patrons, would still go to Patreon and like sign up and make their donation. But then they would also um, be able to get the content directly from us through our regular or a a special RSS feed just for them. Hmm. So that instead of having multiple different RSS feeds, they would just have one. And that's because we built this stuff into Fireside. So behind the scenes, Fireside talks to Patreon, says basically, um, you know, I I need to sync up all of the data from Patreon to, uh, to us so that when we can generate these custom feeds for our listeners right here, inside of fireside so what that means is now we would just we would just post all of our episodes right to fireside and we there was a little drop down would magically appear and it would say choose the tier level that gets this content could be everybody could be anyone who donates anything it could be you know tier one two three four i see the problem though is that when Patreon started doing the things they're doing and getting acquired by different places and, and all of this stuff, they basically stopped supporting their API. So their API is a little bit broken and very, very, very poorly documented. And in many cases, it, it, it works, but just barely. And so it's been a huge, and of course, this all changed because before they were, had a, like several developers working on it and, and it was robust and good. And then all of a sudden that just stopped and who knows why it just stopped, but it did. Are you so, saying that Patreon was acquired by somebody? I don't know if they were acquired. I don't know if they're partnering. I don't know what's going on. I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I don't mm-hmm. think they were acquired, but I don't know. But they yeah. just basically gave up trying to do anything with their API. So anytime we want to integrate with the API or do anything with it, it's some kind of a struggle because you think it works, but then it really doesn't, or it works differently than you think it's going to. And it's, it's, a, it's a huge mess behind the scenes. It, and, and at any minute, they could make a change or pull it or do something else, and we don't, we don't even know. But the way well, it's supposed- What post- is an API? Uh, it's an, well, it's a, this, is, um, um, this is a programmer thing. API stands for uh, Application Programming Interface. It's basically the way that- that two different systems, software systems, can talk to each other. It's like an agreed upon way where they say, if you want this information, go here and ask it this way. 
And so the information we were asking for was like, give us a list of the subscribers and their tiers. And it, it does that. But the problem is it constantly loses the connection with Patreon. So you have to manually go in and refresh it every few days, sometimes, sometimes twice a day. Sometimes it works for a month. No explanation as to why. The problem isn't on our end. It's on their end and there's no support or documentation for it. So from the user standpoint, though, it's been, it's been pretty different. The goal, John, the goal was that if you are a patron of ours, you could go to uh, our website which is roadwork.fireside.fm. And you could click on the subscribe button, our link up at the top. And at the bottom, it says, get my personal feed. You would click that. You'd enter in the email address that you use to become a patron. And it gives you a personal feed that's just for you that has our regular content in it and the bonus content that you qualify for based on your tier. So the first problem with this was that a lot of people had never picked a tier. They just entered because in the very beginning, I stupidly didn't have tiers. Uh, you came in and cleaned up all my mess. But before that, there was possible for people to just donate a dollar or $2 and not be part of a tier or $5 and not be part of a tier. But the way that the Patreon integration works is it requires a tier. So you have to be at a certain level. So the first problem that people experienced was they were not getting any bonus content from the personal feed because although they were paying by donating, they weren't actually in a tier. So then we fixed that problem by basically coming up with a way to display a message that said people had to join a tier in order to do it. So then the people would join a tier and then this other Patreon bug where it wouldn't sync up properly and wouldn't send us information or even worse, would just disconnect the connection completely. That happened so that even though these people had joined a tier, they still weren't able to get any of the bonus content because our system was not connected to Patreon anymore and therefore didn't know that they had joined a tier. In fact, it didn't even know who they were. So it took like a week or two to fix that bug. And then dealing with the intermittent failures, I we had to write another feature that would handle the intermittent failures and allow me to just go in every few days and just disconnect it and reconnect it, get the new list. And of course that takes then another 24 to 48 hours so I might tell someone, oh, you should, it should work for you now because I just saw it sync up. But then they try it and they're like, no, it doesn't work because it might take a day or two because Patreon is Patreon. So yeah. that was frustrating. Now here's the worst part of it. We finally fixed everything. And it's, oh, even though I have to kind like of- the worst part. That well, sounds it, like the best part. It's going to get worse. Oh, even though I have to go in and manage and maintain this like fiddly thing all the time. Mm-hmm. It seems like it's syncing and working and most people are able to get their content, except (laughs) this is Uh the most stupid part. Many, if not all, podcast apps out there, they don't actually talk directly to the server that's giving them the feed. They talk to like a mothership server that's maintained by the app maker. Um, I'm not totally sure how like Overcast works, how Marco does it. But my understanding is that companies like that have some kind of cluster of servers that are constantly going out and, and crawling all of the RSS feeds to see if they've been updated. And when one of them has been updated, it updates the, their cache of that RSS feed and sends it out to all of the clients. As opposed to your phone talking to our server, your phone talks to their server, which in turn has talked to our server to get an update. Right. That makes sense because it reduces a lot of bandwidth. It keeps consistency, that kind of thing. It all makes sense. But there's a problem. And that is that those servers doing that work, and I mean, this is how I think the bigger, big, big companies do it too, not just the small makers, but the big ones, that they try to be smart about things. And so if they see a feed that has a similar URL and a similar title, to another feed, like where it's basically the same, then they just say, oh, well, what you're doing is just trying to get the main one. So we're going to give you the main one. Now, wait a minute. Let me just interrupt you for a second. Everything that I've experienced in computers is that nothing ever tries to simplify anything else. And then you have 700 identical documents on your desktop. So why is this the one place in computers where where they're actually trying to uh, conduct traffic. Right. 
Well, in this case, they want. Hmm. Don't we want this? Don't we want computer people we, to say, oh, this and this look the same. They're the same. Yes, except in this situation, we don't because no. there are special parameters uh, that are on the uh, special parameters that are in the URL that tell it this is the special content that subscriber that this subscriber is supposed to get. I see. The oh, problem, yeah, right. Okay. Right. So the problem is if, if a regular person subscribes to the regular feed, they're going to get the regular show. But if you, if you as a custom supporter, you're going to get the bonus content. Well, that feed looks almost the same, except it has what we call in the, um, in the URL, a query parameter that is slightly different. And that query parameter that is slightly different is what tells our servers what content to serve. But because, uh, because these apps try to be smart and try to say, well, it looks like what you really want is this one. Even though we got past all of those other hurdles of making this whole thing work, now when these places are finally available to get, the, to, to, when, when our servers are finally available to serve this content, the people are still not seeing it Aww. because they have this, uh, this limitation in place saying it's the same thing. So there's this little tag that uh, one of our uh, very diligent listeners was able to discover that you can put in the RSS feed that is essentially, it's like an iTunes tag that says like iTunes block or something like that. And this is supposed to tell the applications, essentially, this is a special customized feed. Don't cache this one. But whether or not they even see that is varies because whether they're just looking at the URL and the title or whether they're actually parsing the feed or not. So it's, it's, a, it's a frustrating problem. And the reason I wanted to talk about it here, John, is because even though I've, I, I can occasionally post to the Patreon, a lot of people don't ever see that. They don't ever, they're just listening to the show and wondering why there hasn't been bonus content since January. Well, there has been. And some of those people see it. And then I'll get emails from people. Oh, I'm loving the bonus content. It finally worked for me. I'm like, great. But like what particular set of conditions works for you um, it might not work for the next person. So I wanted to just talk about it here to say like we are making bonus content. It is out there and we would love for you to hear it. And if you haven't tried to get your personal feed recently, uh, please try again because maybe yeah. <laughs> it will work for you. TLDR. Yeah. Try again. Yeah. I can just report that I find the Patreon uh, interface also very frustrating and, and somewhat confusing. And I feel, I mean, you know, Patreon has been a wonderful thing for me personally. <clears throat> and, um, and I'm I'm confused by the app, and I'm not sure if people are are getting what they're what they want. And anyway, it's a, it's another thing on the internet that's almost, but not quite, but still better than nothing. Yeah, yeah, a lot better, a lot better than nothing. Yeah, a lot better than nothing. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we'll all look back and laugh at. Mm -hmm. uh, at the 2020s. Yeah. Because yeah, there's really, there's nothing else that, there's nothing else to do but look back and laugh, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I hope that our, our subscribers to um, the Roadwork Patreon realize that it does help us. And I know we've been a little patchy, but uh, that patchiness maybe uh, is going to resolve itself in this new year. Right. Things are going to smooth out. I hope so. Yeah. I hope Me so. Me too. Me too. Uh, the, the show sounds a lot better now that we're using clean feed. Yeah, I think it sounds better. We use the clean feed instead of the Skype. It makes it easier to record the whole thing, and you know, I'm, I'm enjoying that aspect yep. of it, and that's a nice improvement. Hopefully, we made the listeners can appreciate it. Easier to record. That's a good service, that clean feed. Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, and, and we're just giving them free advertising. Yeah, I know. Uh, but I but I support it. I support it because they're giving us this uh, wonderful product. Yeah. Clean feed. Yeah. 
Um, how is Fireside? Is it doing well? Yeah, Fireside keeps me pretty pretty busy. Um, and your job, your tech job, is going well. Tech job is going well. Fireside can, going well. Very busy. Can you tell what people? Uh, can you tell people what the tech job is? Yeah, um, a, a friend of mine, uh, the guy that um, he uh, he was at Apple for something like seventeen years. His name is mm. James Boggs. He ran he ran uh, iTunes podcasts and then Apple Podcasts, as it's now known, over there at Apple for a long, long time. And must have um, worked with Scott Simpson at some point. He he and Scott are homeboys, and uh, and so he. He, I saw a tweet from him in which he said, you know, thanks for 17 great years, Apple, peace out, like that kind of thing, right? which is um, surprising because, you know, that's a big deal, leaving a place you've been for 17 years. Shizzle. I reached out to him and I said, hey, well, you know, what are you working on over there? And he's like, oh, you know, and this is sort of sort of looking around, you know, is seeing where things are, which is code for I'm doing some kind of startup. Oh, oh. And that's code. You know that. Like it's, I see. Yeah. Okay. And, um, and so I said, well, whatever it is you're doing, you know, I always enjoyed working with you because uh, I had known him through, you know, the Apple podcast stuff of way back in the early days. And I said, so, you know, if like you're doing something cool, like tell me, I'd love to learn about it. And he's like, yeah, okay, cool. And so like a few weeks later, he reached out and he said, were you serious when you said you might want to work with me on something? And I said, yeah, of course. Hmm. And so he told me about what his vision was and what he wanted to build. And uh, I, was, uh, I, was, uh, I was pretty impressed um, with everything. Um, and so I wanted to like do it. I wanted to work with them. And so we started out, I was just sort of just helping them out, kind of consulting, doing a little development work. And then they said, we really like what you're, you're doing for us. Could, would, you, would you consider a bigger role, a more involved, engaged role? Mm-hmm. And I said, um, I said, well, yeah, uh, I would like that. Actually, that would be pretty cool. That would be fascinating. And challenging and fun and i said you know i still have to do fireside stuff like i'm I'm still running that system and service um i mean i have help i have people that i'm paying to help me with it but and they said no that's fine as long as you can you know devote so basically i just work constantly nonstop now i I never get a break i work seven days a week and all the time but it's great i mean it's great i like what i'm doing yeah working all the time you're you're uh you're living and working. You're taking what they're giving because you're working for a living. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. It's like like the song says. And what's your title at the place? Uh they they have uh, given me the title of uh, chief technology officer. CTO. Yeah, not my oh, first damn. not my first time being a CTO. Uh, it's always a fun challenge to do that. Yeah. How many people are at the company now? Uh. <sighs> I mean, like, uh, full t- uh, that's tough to say. One, two, three, four, five, six. Like, more than half a dozen now, I feel like. Okay. All right. Building it up. Yeah. Well, I, I still am not on any, uh, any, I'm not a C-level anywhere. No. I'm not on any boards. I felt by this time... If you'd asked me eight years ago, would I be on the board of a, of a company by 2022? I would have given it a I would have given a fifty fifty chance. Yeah, but I don't understand how things work, <clears throat> and um, no one has no one has come to me and offered me a seat on their board, and and uh, likewise, I haven't I haven't really pursued a seat on anybody's board. Um, but I do think you know I do think I would be. I think really the only job, the only C-suite job I would be qualified for is CEO. Mm. Everything you know, because I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I'm a strategist, Dan. Yeah. Uh, every other C-level job seems to require that you have a specific set of skills, whereas CEO feels like it's more, it's more a, a general set of skills. That I think a lot of those skills I do possess. Some of them maybe not. 
I don't have an MBA, for instance. Right. right. But I, that also insulates me from uh, from having a lot of jargon based business ideas. Right. Just you're out there. You're just you're 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 seeing you're you're seeing what they're given because you're seeing for a living. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 I like right. that. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you're doing when you're a CEO. You're seeing you're seeing for a living. Yeah. You're grokking what they're given. <clears throat> but nope, nope, that's not, that hasn't happened. And I mean, I think being on a board would be even better for me. Because you got... You, yeah, you, you're more of like a board member. Because yeah. that doesn't... that re, You have responsibility and agency, but not... Like, you can turn that on and off when you're out of the meeting. You're not expected to, like, do anything. Yeah, you got... You, you can bring some vision to bear. I'm, I'm a very good listener. And uh, just listen and figure out what's going on. And <clears throat> everybody's got an agenda, but I wouldn't have an agenda. My agenda would be to make the company do the best job possible. Yeah. But that's just not how uh, business works, I don't think. <clears throat> People feel obligated to give those board seats to investors mm -hmm. and other people. that They're not helping. Investors aren't helping. You yeah. know what they want. You know yeah. why they're there. Yeah. They just want to ask the marketing people over and over again why they're not bringing in more, more Glengarry leads. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But they want to cut their budget at the same time. We're going to give you half the money and you bring in twice the leads. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the salespeople, they dance around like salespeople do. What you need is a visionary yeah. on your board, somebody yeah. that wears like, like a tweed Nobody wears tweed anymore. No, tweed's out, I think. But you want one guy on the board that's wearing tweed with kind of a rumpled bow tie. Every every spy movie's got one guy at, at up in intelligence headquarters that's like rumpled, kind of flamboyant, tweedy. That's how that's how you know a thing is serious. Mm -hmm. If you've got one person where you're like, who's this nutball? Yeah. And then you realize, oh, there's a reason he's here for the nutball opinion. Is there anybody like that at the company you're working for? Nutballs? No. See? Yeah. You need a nutball. Yeah, maybe you're right. Yeah. If we're gonna have a if we're gonna have a real internet, I I'm convinced that this um that this internet of things, um that the that the current war in Ukraine is, uh, they're going to, both parties, both sides of that are going to start weaponizing the internet of things. Right? Why wouldn't they? Yeah. If the, if the Russians were feeling like they were getting pushed out of Crimea or whatever, why wouldn't they make all of your smart light bulbs start turning on and off in San Francisco? Just to annoy you. If they can, right? Yeah. Of course they can, because... Because, Dan, probably most people haven't changed their password three times this week. No, probably not. Which is what is required for there to be safety. Right. At least, right? You should change your password at least three times a week. Yeah. For safety. And without that, your smart light bulbs and your, your <laughs> They're vulnerable. Camera, vulnerable to attack is what you're saying. Extremely vulnerable to attack. Right. Right? Because they put in a worm. Mm, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They put in a worm. Yeah. Yeah, they put a worm into your firmware. Mm-hmm. That's how they get you. Like a Trojan. They put a Trojan worm in your firm firmware. Yeah. So I'm 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 going low tech here. I, every single one of my light bulbs is as dumb as a as a brick. They're just regular dumb light bulbs. As far as I know. As far as I know, Dan. Now somebody could have snuck some stuff into my light bulbs. I wouldn't know about it because I don't. I don't have one of those scanners, right? Where you walk around and hold the scanner next to the lights and see if it if there's a bug in it. Yeah. Now it's raining here, and yet the landscaping company that that handles the landscaping for the big development across the street they come periodically. And all of their landscaping equipment is gasoline powered. Mm -hmm. They still are using gas powered blowers and mm. gas powered. Mm. I, I kind of hear it. Trimmers. Yeah. And they're out there. And when they come, you know, it's a full 
four hours of suburban, like two stroke landscaping motors while they manicure this place so that it looks like a child's garden of verses. And it's a, it's a suburban problem. You know, you don't have it in the city. In the city, what you have is people's car alarms going off and people screaming in the middle of the night. And that all seems intolerable until you get out here and there's just people walking around with gas-powered, you know, tiny, high-revving, gas-powered two-cycle motors removing micrometers of plant life to keep everything square. Uh-huh. And... um and there's something about it that's just that makes me just madder than anything. But I wanted to say that because you you might be hearing because clean feet is so clean. You might be hearing some buzzing in the background. Yeah, and it makes me twice as mad as it makes you, yeah. listener. Yeah. Also, there's electric machines now, and they work pretty darn good. You could have an electric setup on the back of your landscaping truck. Switch the batteries out. I mean, I have an electric freaking chainsaw, Dan. Yeah. That that can that can get me through a six inch in diameter log. Mm-hmm. If you ha- if you can have an electric chainsaw, you can sure as as shuckadoodles mm-hmm. have a have an electric leaf blower. No. I mean, are and you I, a fan in general of like electric things that charge or, you know, cabled electric things or, cause you know, they have batteries now. Well, that's what I'm saying. All of these are bad. That's a battery powered. It's not like, so. not like you're, but, you've got a cable running behind. It. No, no, no. I take it all the way down in the ravine. And, and the thing is I charge it and then I take it down there. I have it next to me all day. If I need to chainsaw something, it's right there. I, it goes bleep bloop. Then I put it in the garage. I don't take the battery out and charge it again. I just leave it in there. Three days later, I go down. I need the, to take the chainsaw with me. It works all day again for a second day. Battery-powered chainsaw. It's phenomenal. And it wasn't expensive. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, are we really on one level, Dan, we're living in the future? It's 2001 A Space Odyssey in Chainsaw Land. Mm-hmm. Right, like who even knew that? That feels like we were promised jetpacks. Actually, we were promised battery-powered chainsaws, and wow, hallelujah! Now I know there are a lot of listeners that are that probably don't use chainsaws that much, right? And you know, out here in the Northwest, there's there's chainsaws that are six feet tall, <laughs> literally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've never used one of those. When I see them, you know, when you're out on the peninsula or you're down in the county, they're like steel chainsaw dealers that are like, they basically look like motorcycle dealers. But you go in and it's just a room full of chainsaws. And some of those chainsaws are terrifying. Terrifying to consider, terrifying even to think about lifting and I've always admired those. Growing up as a kid, there was so, there was so much timber uh, industry out here. You know, a certain pair of boots and a certain kind of chainsaw. It was really like you know you were putting on your Mandalorian armor. So I always, you know, I always thought a chainsaw was something that you graduated into. And I've had gas-powered chainsaws. And I'm sure there's somebody listening that's like battery powered chainsaw. And they're, you know, they're caressing their four foot tall steel chainsaw. Yeah. You never, you know, you never know who's listening to your podcast. You know what I mean? Oh, that's so true. You never know. You never know. It could be anybody. It could literally be anybody. Yeah. It it could be. The chainsaw person, the electric chainsaw person. I hear from people. All the time. It's like, I'm listening to your show from Jerusalem, and I'm like, from Jerusalem? Well, that's wonderful. I wish I knew more. I wish I knew more about you. I want to hear your podcast, person who's living in Jerusalem listening to road work. 
because it's, you know, wow. What's that got to be like? Yeah. They don't, whoever that is, I'm betting the number of chainsaws in Jerusalem is so low compared to the number of chainsaws in the, in King County, Washington. Mm -hmm. I bet people there have another thing that's like, oh, when I grew up, I knew I wanted like the biggest mezuzah there was. (laughs) Uh Although I don't, is it, correct me if I'm wrong, but like size of mezuzah is not one of the ways you assess its quality. Is that right? I mean, I guess it depends on who you're asking. If you're asking someone who's got a, a big mezuzah, yeah, then they're going to say size doesn't count. But if if you know if they have a small one, maybe they're feeling differently about that. Sure, they're going to make a bunch of comments about like it's yeah. not the size of the mezuzah. Right, right. Also, I'm not sure about like is are there nicer ones, and then like cheap ones. There must be. Yeah. 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 There's all, there's all kinds. You can get them where they're made out of like silver or they could be made out of plastic. I mean, it's, it doesn't really matter. I don't think, except, you know, the night, the nicer houses or buildings or edifice, as you would say, they're going to have nicer ones. Yeah. Sure. 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 They're going to be nicer. And in a sense, that's also a tool, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, it's not, it's, is it the same as a, is it a, a tool like a chainsaw where you use it to, I mean, what are you doing? You're warding off. Are you war, no, you're not warding anything off with a mezuzah. It's just like a, it's just a little reminder, right? It's a, this is a thing. I, I know just enough to be dangerous when it comes to knowing what happens inside of a mezuzah. It is, I mean, hold on. Um, there is a, there is a little scroll. Here's what it says. Oh, there's two questions. Uh, it says, why isn't it straight? That's the other thing. But I think. Right, that, it's a sideways. Yeah, it's at a little angle. Um, so the, there is a commandment found in the book of Deuteronomy, verse six, line nine, that says, and thou shall write them upon the doorposts of thy house and on thy gates. And it says that's the reason for the mezuzah, the item affixed at an angle to the doorpost of a Jewish home. The Hebrew word mezuzah actually means doorpost, but over time it's evolved to mean the um, the doorpost and what is affixed to it. And uh, it says that the mezuzah contains a tightly rolled piece of parchment made from the skin of a ritually clean animal okay. on which are handwritten traditionally in 22 lines, words from Deuteronomy, the fifth of the five books of Moses, specifically they are chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, and chapter 11, verses 13 through 21, and begin, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, which if you're Jewish, you, you know that line pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, the parchment is called a klaf, K-L-A-F. It is rolled from end to beginning, so the first word, Shema, is on top, mm-hmm. and it goes on to explain what all of this says. It says, It must be attached on the upper third of the right-hand side of the doorway as one enters, no less than one hand breath from the top, a blessing precedes the hanging, and it says a building that is not used as a permanent residence does not need one. Oh, so a business doesn't need one. Right. And I, I see here that it is used uh, in an amuletic way in that it does repel evil. So just in that sense alone, it is a tool, kind of like the way a chainsaw repels the evil of plants that you don't want. Mm-hmm. It repels the evil of things that you don't want coming in your house. In a, in a way, I think it's, it's more like it's supposed to remind you to, um, to sort of think about like your covenant with God every time you go in and out of a, an entryway, because like super like, observant Jews are going to have one in every doorway of their house, except the bathroom. No, really yeah. inside the house. Oh yeah, sure. Sure. Oh, I thought it was just like once you're past the, no, no. Every in. time you go through a doorway, you're supposed to think about it kind of thing. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's kind of like my old, uh, my old friend who said, every time you get a drink of water out of a drinking fountain, I want you to think of me 
when you see a particular right. thing at the bottom of the drinking fountain, and I was like, you're a nerd. Mm-hmm. But then here we are. Yeah, you remembered it forever. Yeah, 30 years later. Um, okay, well, I mean, that covenant with God, like my covenant with God comes up in conversation occasionally. Mm-hmm. Not 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 in an insignificant amount. It comes up. I think about it. Thought about it yesterday. But but going but think about it. Every time you go through a door, I mean, you you wouldn't think of anything else. Although I guess you know you're just reminded of it. You don't have to then sit and you don't have to sit in the doorway and think about it for an hour, mm-hmm. unless you're like super serious about it. I guess the analogy of it with a chainsaw is probably not probably not uh, equivalent. But I guess if you are a young person in Israel, you get to a certain age, they give you an M16. Do you get to keep that M16 after you're no longer in the in the game or an Uzi? Is there one in every closet? Is there an Uzi in every closet? No, I hope not. But I mean, I think that's kind of the principle, right? That if, if you're going to invade Israel, you're going to have to deal with an, an Uzi in every closet. I don't know. Mm-hmm. There's not a chainsaw in every closet in the Northwest. I'll say that. Yeah. I was chainsawing yesterday and the day before, and I have done the thing where I've ruined my body again. Oh, no. I get, I heal. I let my joints heal. I have a tennis elbow, a bad tennis elbow. I get right to the point where it barely hurts anymore. And then I go down and I chainsaw a bunch of things and I lift a bunch of heavy trees and mm-hmm. logs and mm-hmm. do some kind of like training montage yeah. all day. And then I come up and I've screwed everything up again. My my tennis elbow hurts and every, everything hurts and it takes me a couple of days to recuperate. And then I'm halfway through a project. I've got all these things torn up, and even though I'm I, I hurt, then I have to go down and and finish it because I can't bear this half finished project down there. And then it's that day that I really screw myself. Oh, do you have anything like that that you where where your body comes into play that you where you kind of like keep doing a thing even though it hurts and and then you keep doing it. I mean, I try. I try not to. But you you work out, right? Yeah. But I you mean, do it that in a does that does way. hurt? Yeah, that does hurt. But you don't injure yourself. You try not to injure. Yourself. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole thing about being forty nine years old and working out. Is it's different from being twenty nine or even thirty nine years old and working out because, um, you know, like I used to be able to go in there and give it a hundred percent or all the time. You know, just like I'm gonna, I'm gonna do as hard. I'm gonna go as hard as I can go. Go hard, now. Yeah. If I go as hard as I can go, um, I'm gonna, I am gonna get hurt, uh, or potential, the potential for getting hurt is there, and I just try to avoid that now. I just try to avoid that. Lower weights or fewer reps? Uh, you know, low, probably lower, slightly lower rates because, um, because you know, from my standpoint, it, it's like you know, you're gonna have your gains. But you don't want to have them at the expense of getting hurt, you know, and then you can get yeah. hurt in stupid ways. It's not it's not like you're going to be hurt where you're like have some kind of like your bicep muscle blown out or something. It's going to be that you tweak something in your neck when you're doing something else. And then that's going to hurt really bad for like a week. And you got to go and get like a massage therapist person to like work on it. And, and you're in pain. You're not sleeping good. Like. It's not, it's not like you're like having some kind of career ending in, injury. It's, but it's something that's going to be enough. It's not just sore, but like you're hurt, you know, yeah, it's and a you're tweak. like, and it's almost always like your shoulder or your neck or some muscle in your back. And, and those things are going to get hurt. They're going to get taxed. They're going to, and then you're messed up and it's like really painful and it can be fixed, but it takes, you know, it takes money, time and whatever. Yeah, that that definitely happens to me. You know, the problem is that the work that I am doing, it's very gratifying. Um, but you know, you'll encounter a rock 
as I did a couple of days ago, there's a giant boulder in my ravine, a glacial anomaly that was brought there many thousands of years ago. It is extremely large. If you were to try and move it, you would need a huge crane. You'd need to build a road, drive a huge crane on a truck, dig underneath this thing until you could put a sling under it. Mm. It would require a team of people and a giant piece of machinery to get this rock out of here. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't want it out because it's a killer rock. It's blue and green, and it's you know big enough to climb up on top of. Three people could sit on it and not touch each other. Mm -hmm. And when I discovered this rock, it was covered with plant life, so you couldn't, I don't think anybody would seen it, in a dozen years, I pulled the plants off of it, and there was obviously this big rock. Well, I started to kind of – it's the only one. It's the only one in the whole property. So it's really an anomaly. And, and in the Northwest, there are a few of these glacial anomalies. Mm -hmm. Some of these rocks are as big as houses. And in Seattle, there are a couple where you're just kind of in a neighborhood, and there's a little pocket park. And then there's this boulder. Uh, it's giant, two-story boulder or whatever. Wow. And nobody thinks about them because anywhere you go, there's just sort of rocks in parks. Like in Central Park, there's all that exposed rock that's kind of a feature of Central Park. And I guess if you grew up there, it just seems like, oh, of course, there's all this rock sticking out of the grass. These boulders, though, they're not, it's not bedrock sticking out. It's like a giant, huge rock that only a glacier could have moved. Well, anyway, I started to dig around this rock because I wanted to see more of it. I sure. wanted it, I want more of it out of the dirt. And it had dirt piled up all over it by centuries of, of kind of avalanche and, well, digging around this rock, is, it's amazing. The more of the rock you see, the more phenomenal it is. But what I discovered was deep under the dirt, there was another rock mm. that had cleaved from the larger rock. And I got down around this rock, and then the idea came into my head, maybe I can move this rock. Mm. Maybe this rock is still very big, but maybe I can move it. And do I want to, do I need to move it? No. But what if I can? What if I could? Mm -hmm. Would I want to move it? Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because I never saw a rock I didn't want to try and move. It's, it's intrinsic to man's relationship to a rock. <laughs> I mean, you... The first thing I thought of when I saw the big rock for the first time was, wow, could you move this rock? Mm -hmm. Answer, no. But I've encountered a lot of other rocks where the answer was yes, and I did. I did move them. Why? Because it's there. So anyway, I dug up this very large rock, and then I'm in a situation where it's the same problem. I've discussed it before. I'm alone in the forest. There's a, there's a rock that's too big to move, or is it? And then I set about trying to move the rock. Well, that talk about tweaking your back. Oh. Talk about giving yourself you can't a just do that. You can't pain just, in the You can't neck. just do that. But once I get going, you know, I'm so excited. I'm so, I, you know, I, I love the rock, and part of wanting to move it is, is out of love. Because I want to see the rock. I want to see all sides of it. I want to interact with the rock. I want to put it somewhere else. I want to put the rock. Here's where it is. It's been resting there for hundreds or thousands of years. And now I'm going to move it over here where we can see it. Now, I don't, there's no way to consult the rock. But I believe that the rock is just as into it as I am. Why wouldn't it be? It's been buried in the dirt all this time and now it's up and 
Everybody can appreciate it. Yeah. And that's valid. Anyway, I did. I ended up moving this rock at great expense to my body and thankfully did not hurt myself in a permanent way because a big rock can screw you up. If you get it halfway out of a hole and then it falls back in and you've got some, you've got a body part underneath it, mm-hmm. it's going to keep going. It's going to go right through you. That didn't happen. Thank the, thank the Lord. Yeah. That would have been bad. But I got it. I got it moved. It's, um, oh, and then, of course, Dan, I had a big hole where the rock had been. Yeah. That, that I didn't want there to be a hole there. Mm. I'm just describing, you know, what I do when it's not, when I, when I don't have res- responsibilities. There's so much else I could be doing. Painting. Writing manifestos. <laughs> Do you have any interest in moving rocks? No. Nope. If you see a rock, you don't think, what if that rock was over there? No. I mean, sometimes I, I as I drive around the, the hill country here in Austin, you can see where giant, I mean, there's a lot of like, like if you dig down in Florida, a couple feet down, you get water. Here you get stone, you get rock. That's oh my why God, the area no, around Austin is just a giant rock. It is a giant rock. There's that's why there's almost no basements in any anywhere in this part of Texas because they're just it's rock. But there are parts of like a 360, uh, which is a road you would probably prefer to call capital of Texas Highway. Yeah, but it's called 360, and uh, and it has. Um, it has these areas that where it was clearly blasted away uh, years and years and years ago to make the road from just giant, you know, giant rocks, rocks that are, you know, huge building sized rocks and, or bigger, you know, not, not quite a mountain, but like a hill even that might be a solid rock. And I do think about detonating dynamite into the sides of them to maybe, you know, like this isn't something I would undertake on my own. I would, you know, have to get licensed but that does seem kind of fun. So in that sense, yeah, I think about moving rocks sometimes, Yeah. but more, you know, clearing out, you know, like wanting to say, well, I want my road to go straight and I want it to go right through where that kind of giant rock hill is. Mm-hmm. So instead of having it go up and over, I'm just going to blast through it. So in yeah. that sense, moving a rock. Yeah. But I don't For ever sure. think about like a boulder that I want to move. Sure. You want to blow up rocks. Yeah. Which I think is extremely common too, from the very invention of well, way before dynamite, people wanted to use machines and use hammers. Yeah. See, I'm not trying to break any rocks. No. But the rocks that I have are are manageable. A lot of them are the size of a large watermelon. And those are those are movable in a kind of like strongman way. You can't lift them, but you can push them and roll them. When you get to one that's the size of like a uh, like a county fair winning pumpkin, mm-hmm. that's those are too big for one person or two, even two people to move. But the danger is the ones right in beside, right bes- right in between a watermelon and a large pumpkin, there's this middle ground where you look at a rock and you're like, man, I bet I could move that if it was just... A lot of times it's like, if that rock was just a little rounder, I could get it going. But it's not. It's got a flat side. And so you get it going and you roll one time and then thump, mm-hmm. you're back and mm-hmm. you can't... But the thing about Austin, I... I noticed is a lot of the new development in Austin, the houses are made of rock. Yeah, I'm sure. There are those, there are those, uh, you know, when you think about McMansions in the Austin area, there are whole neighborhoods where they just, seems like they just took the rock out of the ground and built big houses out of them. Yeah. I mean, that's true. Or or there's rock on the outside of the houses. That's a a popular style here. Instead of having like wood on the side of that, you know, this, house that looks like it's made of wood that they'll have the sort of rock attached to it 
and but I think you're right. I think it's just as they're as they're sort of flattening out the plot of land that they will come in and also just sort of you know chip away at some of the rock and that kind of thing. So, like almost every house in Washington is made of fur because that's what we had here. Fur trees all around. Looking out my window, fur, 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 hemlock, fur, alder, cedar, cedar, fur, maple. We don't have any hardwood here. Like there's no oak or whatever, southern pine, for obvious reasons. It's right in the name. So all the houses are made out of softwood, what mm-hmm. they call softwood. And like if you if you went all through Seattle and counted the brick houses, there would not be that many. There are some. Mm-hmm. But we don't make brick here. Brick's not not part of our scene. So the brick anything you build out a brick, you kind of have to bring the brick in. There are other cities in America where everything's brick. It seems like, what, Philadelphia? Isn't it mostly brick? I feel like everything is brick in Philadelphia, and it's, some of it has the vines and some of it doesn't. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's some old half-wooden colonial structures, but a lot of East Coast places, all brick. It's so interesting to me what it would be like to live in a brick house. Thank you.